0: Ruloff was like, here's what I want. And, you know, just why does why should Uber exist? And I wrote like three paragraphs, and I wrote two paragraphs. And I was like, I don't want to write this rule off. And he's like, Well, we're kind of giving you the money to invest as a scout can you just maybe at least write a, a little bit. And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, it's kind of a deal breaker for me. This like an idiot I am with this like great opportunity to be a scout for Sequoia. He's <laughs> like, just write anything. So it's not empty. And I was like, fine. And I wrote, because taxis suck. And then I expanded on that, but because taxis suck, three words, was the reason I said Uber should exist.
1: This Week in Startups is brought to you by iTrust Capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account and still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? Visit iTrust.Capital slash twist to start investing today. Microacquire, the startup acquisition marketplace. Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to try.microacquire.com twist. And, Cyvatar. Implementing cybersecurity for your startup can feel overwhelming and expensive. But it doesn't have to be that way. Cyvatar is startup friendly, fully managed, all inclusive cybersecurity subscriptions. Twist listeners get their first two months free at cyvatar.ai slash twist.
0: Hey, everybody, it's Sunday, Sunday, and Molly and I are here. We gave up our Sundays for you. We, we get up at 5am every Sunday and do this show. We edit it and then we try to get it out by 10am. We give up. We, we sacrifice, Molly. We do. Um, we That's do. That's what it takes. That's what That's it what takes to learn this craft. Absolutely. To and get so it done. We do not tape this the week before and put it in the can. But uh, it's Sunday school. People are loving this. We're going to put a compilation together of all the Sunday school mom- moments, VC Sunday school, I should say, where Molly and I talk about, you know, she's in month four of learning the craft of investing in startups. And we're doing our first climate syndicate, the syndicate.com slash climate. If you're an accredited investor and want to sign up and see Molly's first deal. Uh but you have questions for me. What I questions do. do you have for this week and let's see if we can uh, hash it out.
2: I do. So uh on the heels of the first deal launching on the Climate Syndicate, I have a question about deal memos mm. because that has been a topic of like I think there was a part of me when I was reading the books that understood including your book where you talk oh. about Roloff both as, you know, famous deal memo about YouTube acquiring sure. or about Google acquiring YouTube. I sort of had the sense that they were a big deal. Mm -hmm. But turns out they're like a big deal, and firms do them in lots of different ways. So I want to talk to you about the importance of a deal memo and what makes a good one.
1: Okay.
0: So, writing is clarity of thought. And if you uh, write something on a piece of paper and then you speak it out loud and it doesn't make sense, or you read it and it rings untrue. you immediately get that right. And when you're reading a sentence about what a company does, if you have to construct a sentence about what Uber does, or what Robin Hood does, and then you have to write a sentence or two about their go to market strategy or a sentence or two about the team, there is no way to um, fudge that there is no way to when I mean, you could fudge it, I guess. But it, it creates a great simplicity in understanding the business. And that's why reading and writing creates clarity of thought and having really clear thoughts, eyes wide open going into an investment is super important. They also act as a moment in time to crystallize your thinking. So we could sit here and talk about an investment in Uber. Um, but when I wrote the deal memo for that, Ruloff was like, here's what I want. And, you know, just why does, why should Uber exist? And I wrote like three paragraphs and I wrote two paragraphs and I was like, I don't want to write this rule off. And he's like, Well, we're kind of giving you the money to invest as a scout. Can you just maybe at least write a, a little bit? And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, it's kind of a deal breaker for me. This like an idiot I am, um, with this like great opportunity <laughs> to be a scout for Sequoia. He's like, <laughs> just write anything so it's not empty. And I was like, fine. And I wrote, Because taxis suck. And then I expanded on that, but because taxis suck, three words, was the reason I said Uber should exist. Now, there were many reasons taxis sucked. You couldn't get one. You didn't know where it was. You didn't know what the price was going to be of your ride. You had to handle money. You had to give a tip. Uh, they smelled bad. You couldn't rate the person. They couldn't rate you. There was just all these issues with taxis, right, uh, that we all had. There was a taxi line. There was a line for them. Um, you couldn't get them in certain neighborhoods. So I I kind of expanded on that. But when you write that stuff down, my Lord, then you have this living document that you can look at and say, what was my thinking? What was my decision making process? And we are in the business of making decisions, Mm -hmm. hard, bold, contrarian decisions. The writing of thing, writing things down in a deal memo forces you to answer the hard questions and then highlight the things you don't know. What are the reasons this could fail? What are the things that um, you know, are going to be challenges for the business? Why do you want to invest so it it becomes a a better way than a conversation? Because in conversation, you and I could talk each other into things out of things, you have a gut sense. But just writing it down codifies it, crystallizes it. And that's just the discipline you want to have as an investor.
2: Well, and you raise another that gets to sort of the other point about the deal memo, which is that it's not I wouldn't have expected it to be as as sort of bluntly straightforward. It is not a marketing document. And I feel like that's an important distinction for new investors to understand. This is not about pumping it up at all. It's just like simply explaining it almost like bums the founders out in some cases, I think, to see how plainly. Yes, we're attempting to present the this real thing.
0: I think if a founder writes the deal memo of their company, it might be more effusive and visionary. And so, for example, when we do uh, our deal memos at the syndicate, we let the founder write their own deal memo, we look at it and say, Hey, can, can we get make this less effervescent and more reality based? So we'll give them some coaching on that. Um, but I write an opening letter. And now you're writing them as well. And the opening letter is like sort of a mini deal memo for us where I try to explain in the first sentence what the product is, who the customer is and how much they pay for it. My Lord, like, people suffer a whole bunch. But if you can explain this calm is a meditation app that costs $7 per month, period. Mm -hmm. Now, the investor who is considering making a bet alongside us, they don't need to ask how do they make money? What's the product? Who's the customer? customers anybody on ios or android it's an app you understand that you understand the price seven dollars a month and you understand it's a meditation app um, now do they do other things they have sleep stories they have courses of course you can expand on that later um, but i think saying it simply and then the bet i put a i created my own thing the bet um was i think this will go down as my contribution <laughs> to uh deal memos writ large which yeah. is i like to write why i'm making the bet and what the bet I'm making is so often, the bet in an early stage company is I'm betting this team, which has early product market fit, and six customers can continue to build their team, uh, understand their customer and get m- a tighter product market fit, so that the cost of acquiring customers goes down. And that really is like sums up a lot of the journey in the early stage that we invest in you have great product market fit, you get market pull, right? If something like Uber is so good, or DoorDash is so good, or Instacart, like people tell each other about it, they seek it out. They type into Google, I need, I'm looking for, uh, you know, a bed and breakfast in Montana and Airbnb has Montana bed and breakfast, boom, you know, they, they, they seek it out, right? So that's like a lot of the bet is you're betting that a team can take early product market fit and make it strong product market fit. Or if you're doing a later stage deal, it's, they can continue to scale this organization and find more customers and not lose customers and land and expand. That understanding the bet you're making, I think is critically important. Because sometimes people just make the bet and they're like, I'm betting on the founder. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you could say that about every startup. But let's double click on that. The founder can do what? Mm -hmm. What are you betting the founder can do? betting the founder can find great a great management team. The founder is a product driven founder, they can, you know, make a great product, what are you betting on? Exactly? Like, let's try to think it through. So anyway, I think that's why deal memos um, are the preferred modality for investors and pitch decks are the preferred modality for founders mm-hmm. pitch deck gets you excited gets you pumped tells a story. It's exciting. It's aspirational future projections and then a deal memo should be a a bit more sober a bit more you know just the facts man as they they say in the detective shows just the facts man if you're listening to this podcast you probably already have some exposure to crypto well did you know you can now invest in crypto through your retirement account that's right with itrust capital you can buy and sell digital assets from a crypto ira this means you're going to get those same amazing tax advantages of a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies to invest in. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day if you want. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use. and It only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. You get a free account and a 1% fee per crypto transaction. Visit Twist. To start investing today. That's itrust.capital/slash twist. Disclosure: taxes and conditions may apply, fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. Itrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional.
2: Yeah, and it does have a lot of financials in it. I wonder from your perspective, like in our case, it goes to our syndicate investors who are mm-hmm. angels who are getting them an email and reading yep. them in the case of a, a different firm, it would go to I assume investment partners.
0: Yeah, to talk about on the Monday meeting. Here's my deal memo, you know, send it out on Thursday, we're gonna talk about this, we're gonna meet the founder on Monday morning, and the founders coming to our partner meeting.
2: Which parts do you think people really read?
0: Um, I mean, I'm uh, saying you should read it all. The, huh. I mean, I, it, but it depends on the investor and the stage. So if it was a later stage, you know, people would go right to the performance, they would look for the churn numbers, they would look for the growth, they would look in the land and expand. Now, if it's early stage, they would look at the team section, like who is this team? Like what gives them the audacity to do this? Um, if it's early to mid, they might look at the market, who who's actually using the product? How much are they paying? How many employees? Are they? Okay, so this is Salesforce. And what's the largest customer or the largest customer they have, you know, I'm talking about like early days of Salesforce. Oh, they've got somebody using 20 seats, or slack, they got some company using 200 seats. Okay. Can a 2000 or a 20,000 uh, person company actually use this? Or is it too unwieldy? Would they have five different instances of 4000 or 20 instances of 1000? How would this work? Inside of IBM, if they chose to use slack, would they have just a gazillion left hand channels? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. So they might be looking for those kind of issues like, Hmm. um, but what is the market size, so I think market size is one team is another performance is another, I think that's where you're going to generally go anytime there's a chart that's helpful. Yeah, Um, product roadmap. I think people generally would ignore, because they're like, whatever product teams are going to figure it out. Um, But other people might be very interested in that if it was, you know, again, depending on the vertical, you know, you might very much want to look at the product roadmap for Uber and Tesla. Oh, you're going to do a $150,000 car? When are we going to get the 50? When are we going to get the $30,000 car, right? Could be kind of important to figure out. Yeah. Go to market should, strategy comes to mind too.
2: Right. What should absolutely not be in there? I mean, we talked about the the flowery stuff, you know, but yeah. like is there a version of the vision that's just fiction and it doesn't help anybody?
0: I think like history of how you got here mm. um is kind of boring uh and like nobody cares. So a lot of times founders will be triangulating on some business model and some idea and they may have some detritus laying around the company that they're trying to shed or wrap up or maybe they're emotionally vested in so you know uh well we started with this idea and we still have this product but we pivoted to this product like nobody cares. Just how you got here nobody cares. Like you <laughs> know it, 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 but for founders, it's a paramount importance because they might have spent two years going down the wrong path, and they built a $1 million revenue business. And then they found a $10 million business that everybody's working on. And so famously, the company Groupon had something called point, I think was the original name of it. And it was like tipping point. And it was like, uh, you could do um, what do they call those things petitions. So you could do like a petition, and the petition would then drive people. Uh, you know, to a tipping point. And people started using saying, Hey, if we bought a 100 passes to yoga for hot yoga this weekend, instead of 30 bucks, would you give them to us for 10? And the person's like, yeah, $3,000? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll sell you, you know, 300 of them for 10 bucks each if I get 3000 in advance. Yeah, if you can get me 300 people, yeah, I'll sell those for 10 bucks, like group buying kind of thing. And that's where Groupon came from. Now, hmm. do you need to know that history? Probably not. It'd be more interesting to use that space to talk about the first three groupons you did, and the quotes from the customers. So I'm a big fan of customer um, love and figuring out what customers are getting out of this. Right? Yeah, super yeah. important. We include that in ours yeah. too.
2: Yeah. Um, awesome. All right. Well,
0: I that- think that's enough. I don't think we need to do competition. I think we just do the deal memos. We'll talk about. I agree. Com- Competitor competition in your portfolio, which is a. We'll talk about that next week. But boy, next that, week. you know when that gets hairy? Uh, when right. one company yeah. pivots to an existing one in your portfolio. Oh.
2: Okay, so you're we'll like, you like bet man. on
0: vision A, bet on vision B. The people at b, c a doing really well, and they're like, "Let's do more of a. <laughs> and the person who's doing A is and like, "You like, invested um, in that. I'm like, "I." they pivoted. not our fault.
1: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> we'll talk about
0: that in more. yes. Who do we have today in this week in climate startups?
2: i you know that one of my weaknesses is mm-hmm. uh, obscure financial. This is the marketplace showing, right? Like yes. I love the economics of things. but mm-hmm. I have recently been informed that divesting your portfolio Mm. from fossil fuels, fossil fuel companies is massively impactful. Like one person told me that it could have 30 times as much impact as going vegan for your entire life. So yes, today on the show, I have Alex Wright Gladstein, the CEO and founder of Sphere, and then the co-founder of this cool company called AR Labs. Uh, First, let's talk about Sphere, which is a public benefit corporation trying to get 401k money out of companies that burn a ton of fossil fuels. They have essentially created a whole new mutual fund and they offer climate friendly 401k plans and previously she founded this company that made data centers more efficient by using light to move data between chips. Founder so just like or chips faster. So a two-time right. climate founder. Love it. Super interesting ideas. Really, great idea! Vote with your dollar. Vote with your dollar. People
0: with your dollars—it's obviously going to have a huge impact. Sounds like a great interview, everybody. Really fun. Stick with us,
2: Alex Wright Gladstein. Thanks for coming on this week in Climate Startups.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
2: So, Alex uh, is the CEO and founder of Sphere, a public benefit corporation that's amplifying a social movement to get 401k retirement savings money out of fossil fuel companies. So, first of all. How much 401k money is in fossil fuel companies to start with? Like, is this some, this is clearly not something people are very aware of, it seems like.
3: It's true. It's something that most people haven't thought about, but there are many billions of dollars, maybe even trillions in fossil fuel companies. Uh, If you look at a single 401k plan at a company that has a bigger 401k plan, so these are bigger companies that are older. So they've been around for many years with their employees saving like a Microsoft or an Apple, they each have 10 to 30 billion in a single 401k plan. And about 5% of that is in fossil fuel companies. So if a plan is 30 billion, that's one and a half billion dollars in fossil fuel companies. Mm. It's a it's a big number.
2: It's a big number. And actually I was talking with the founder yesterday who gave me a startling stat that maybe you can confirm, which was that if you divest from fossil fuel companies, if you just get that out of your portfolio, that that can be 30 times more impactful than like going vegan as an individual? Have you heard this stat? Because that's bonkers.
3: Everyone measures these things in different ways, but it's true. The carbon footprint of your investments can be enormous. And then I personally think it goes beyond the carbon footprint of those fossil fuel companies. It goes to really sending a message. Because as long as we're investing in companies like Exxon and Chevron, we're telling them, good job. Keep doing what you're doing. That's essentially what we're telling them with our money. Mm -hmm. And if we take our money out of them, then we're telling them, wait a second, we don't want to give you our money as long as you keep behaving the way you are.
2: And then how did you kind of come across this and then decide, hey, this is a startup idea?
3: Yeah, I so I actually started another company. It's called IR Labs. And we care about the climate in that company as well we make data centers and supercomputers more energy efficient by using light to move data between chips. And when we were setting up our 401k plan back in 2016, 2017, I asked our providers for a climate-friendly investment option for our employees. And I thought it was a simple request. Uh, it turned out not to be. It took over three years to get a single climate-friendly option in there for our employees. Wow! And I just couldn't believe how hard it was, how long it took. Um, and so I started talking to more and more people in the 401k industry to figure out why is it so hard to accomplish this? And I ended up learning that there are some real structural reasons that it's hard to have climate friendly options in 401ks in particular. And none of them seemed to be insurmountable. It just seemed like no one had tried to make it easy before. And that's when I started diving into to figure out, OK, how can I how can I fix this problem and make it easier for other people like me to have climate friendly options in 401ks?
0: micro acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that cuts out everyone in the middle. Basically, this means they help a startup get acquired super efficiently. Yes, if you're a founder looking to sell micro acquire is free, it's private, And nobody is going to get into the middle of your deal and insert their motivations, which might not be in your best interest to date, while they've helped hundreds of startups get acquired, I kid you not, and they've facilitated hundreds of millions of dollars in closed deal volume. Their platform includes over 120,000 buyers that pay $390 a year for a subscription and thousands of startups currently are listed for sale at Micro Acquire. They've had hundreds of successful acquisitions so far. So founders can get free access instantly to over 120,000 trusted buyers and you're going to stay totally anonymous. On the other side of the marketplace, again, buyers are paying that $390 a year so you know they're serious. Microacquire will help you find a buyer for your startup. It's as simple as that. Buyers can browse listings for free and the platform is totally free for sellers. Sign up for a premium subscription right now for just $390 a year to access all these great deals at try.com microacquire.com slash twist once again t-r-y dot micro m-i-c-r-o slash twist so why is it hard like in a nutshell
3: there are a few reasons i would say one of the major ones is that climate-friendly investment options exist and you no know, they're they're amazingly popular they're really taking off in popularity Um, In the investment market in general, I think about a third of all investments are in what's called classified by the financial industry as ESG or environment, social and governance style funds. Um, So those funds tend to be priced at a premium. Uh, I think the financial industry has realized, wow, there's so much demand for this that uh, if we create this type of product, we might as well market up, have it be kind of expensive because people are willing to pay. Mm. Turns out that's a big problem in the 401k space, because employers can be sued by their employees for having funds that are too expensive in their 401ks. These are called excessive fee lawsuits, and they actually happen all the time. Uh, There are law firms that specialize in that type of class action lawsuit. So there's a very legitimate concern that employers have uh, about adding funds that are expensive to their 401ks. And that concern is what tends to block out Uh, Climate-friendly funds because they are pretty much all expensive. And if you
2: buy, you know, the way that 401ks work, of course, is you're you're many you're not picking individual stocks, right? You're you're buying sort of a basket of investments. That might be the S and P 500. That might be the you know Dow Jones Industrial Average. And those baskets sort of automatically tend to include what we have always thought of as blue chip investments, right? Which will be some of these fossil fuel companies.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the government puts the responsibility in the hands of each employer, each company, to make sure that their employees only have smart uh, investment options available to them where, you know, they can't lose their their life savings um, if they invest in these options. And the way that is usually interpreted by employers and investment advisors is that options should be well diversified. That's one way to make sure you protect your retirement savings. And the diversified funds that exist, like the S&P 500, for example, uh, they invest in every industry, and that includes the fossil fuel industry. And it tends to be about 5% of the total portfolio, if you look at any average portfolio that's invested Mm -hmm. in fossil fuels.
2: Not to derail us, but it sounds like you've also described, you know, there's been a lot more light on the kind of structural issues around ESG funds and ESG investing. It seems like what you're also discovering is like, Maybe those things shouldn't be priced at a premium, particularly since their returns uh, are not always guaranteed to be as carbon friendly, as they're saying, or climate friendly. Side note, I know, but I wonder what this also says about ESG funds.
3: It's true. So there are a lot of ESG funds out there that I wouldn't personally think of as climate friendly, but it's not a judgment on whether the um, portfolio manager is, is doing a good job. Uh, of making an ESG portfolio, it's actually, uh, I think, a disconnect between, you know, when I would ask for a climate-friendly investment option, you know, I think of that as, you know, I don't want to invest in Exxon and Chevron who are actively lobbying against climate legislation that would keep us safe. Um, But when a more traditional financial advisor or portfolio manager hears, oh, climate-friendly, that means that person wants ESG. And they mm. tend to translate that into ESG, which in their mind means something entirely different and doesn't necessarily mean that you're avoiding investing in fossil fuel companies. Got it. And oftentimes it means governments, governance is good or social equity is a consideration. Um, every ESG strategy has a different focus and oftentimes it has nothing to do with climate change. Uh, and that's where I think the disconnect happens.
2: So what you're saying is not like, give me an option that's all ESG funds. You're saying, let me take tomatoes and onions off my burger. I want an option that does not include these two things.
3: That's right. That's what, to me, um, is one important aspect of climate-friendly investing. And it turns out I'm not alone. So I've, I've ended up getting plugged into a lot of social movements at companies, especially big companies that have these billions of dollars in their 401ks, like like the Apples and, and Microsofts and Googles and Amazons, where there have been employees asking for climate-friendly investment options for years. There are hundreds of employees who've written into HR asking for this. Um, and those employees, it turns out, think about it similarly to how I do. And, mm-hmm. and something we've all really leaned on as a great resource is uh, a nonprofit called As You So runs this website called fossilfreefunds.org. And mm-hmm. you can plug in the ticker for any fund you're invested in. So you can see, oh, you know, I'm in the target date 2050 Vanguard fund. You kind of plug in that ticker and see how many or how much of your money is invested in fossil fuel companies. Um, so it turns out a lot of people who are looking for climate friendly investment options are using that lens of, of hey, I don't want to be investing in fossil fuel companies.
2: Got it. Um, all right. Well, now that we have set up kind of the problem and the complexity, tell me about how Sphere Tackles this. How do you turn this into a tech business?
3: Yeah, so we explored a bunch of different options, and I wasn't even convinced at first that this needed to be a tech business. I thought, is there is there a nonprofit that has a role to play here? It seems Mm -hmm. like there's a social movement aspect to this. Uh, Where can I help? And what I ended up realizing was that the company aspect of this is in the fund option itself, because it turns out there are 401k platform providers. That are focused on green investing it's possible for me as um, a startup ceo to go and find a company that will build a green 401k option for me those companies tend to be on the smaller side Um, so i think the problem is actually that an enormous company like a microsoft or apple won't hire a a kind of smaller 401k advisor to run their 401k they're going to hire fidelity or vanguard um and i wanted to be able to address you know where the big money is so those big companies and it turns out you can add climate friendly funds to a vanguard or fidelity fund lineup uh but the problem was all the climate friendly funds were expensive and so we decided to start a company that offers financial products that of fidelity or vanguard can offer on their platform so our first product is a mutual fund that's actually designed for 401k's and that means it's inexpensive. So it's not priced in line with other green funds, which tend to be at 0.5 to 1.5% in terms of annual fees. And instead it's priced in line with S&P 500 index funds, which tend to be priced around 0.04 to 0.09% in annual fees. Wow. Um, That's a side note, big difference.
2: Like that is a hell of a green premium right there.
3: It really is. It's a 10x premium, and wow. we really set a precedent in in offering a green fund that is offered at zero point zero seven percent.
2: Got it. So you have curated this fund. Tell me about the mechanics of that. Like, w- and what kind of w- what goes into that from sort of a legal and regulatory perspective? Like, can't, you can just do that. You can just make a mutual fund.
3: <laughs> Good question. So I actually should clarify we ourselves are not offering the fund. We're not managing the fund. Um, we were able to partner with companies that are, um, companies and people that have decades of experience in sustainable investing and in fund management. Uh, and so we sponsored the creation of this fund, our partner reflection asset management, uh, manages the fund and, um, and the, the head of Reflection Asset Management, Jason Britton, has decades of experience in sustainable investing. Uh, most recently, he was running the sustainable investments at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Um, so just really great uh, background and depth and experience that there's no way I could have <laughs> developed that um, with my background in tech over a short amount of time. So really valuable partnership. Um, and so we created an index, and then we sponsored the creation of that fund. Um, and by the way, while, while you're reminding me of, of this topic and the mechanics, I should mention that none of this should be interpreted as investment advice. And anyone who's thinking about investing should talk to their um, uh,
2: financial advisor. I bet you have to say that a lot, such as in every interview <laughs> <Yes>. and meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. We're just talking options here. We're just talking options.
0: Here's a problem a lot of startups face. They need cybersecurity, but they don't have the staff to implement it or to manage it. So if your startup is overwhelmed with thousands of different services, and you're looking for a simple and cost effective starting point, Cyvatar makes cybersecurity effortless for startups and SMBs. They have all inclusive subscriptions that you can cancel anytime, and solutions for your business. So you can close more deals, get compliant faster, and gain customer trust. And they are a preventative service, not a reactionary one. This means they find problems before they happen, not after. One more time, Cyvatar offers all-inclusive, fully managed cybersecurity as a service, a free platform to analyze and report on your cybersecurity, a member experience team that ensures satisfaction, flexible payment plans that you can cancel anytime, and it can get you up and running in 60 days or less. So here is your call to action. You can use Cyvatar's freemium version right now at no cost. But if you want to upgrade, you can get your first two months free at cyvatar.ai slash twist. I'll spell it one more time for you. Get your pens out, get your phone out and get ready to type. C-Y-V-A-T-A-R dot A-I slash twist. Um,
2: so you have partnered with this other company that has created this fund. You've sponsored it. What does that mean? Like you... I mean, clearly you have a business relationship, right? Like who, how does everybody get paid here?
3: Um, so sponsoring means that we cover the costs of the fund and, um, and, uh, and then yes, uh, some of the profit is, 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 uh, comes back to our company. So it's a profit sharing model. Um, and then something else worth mentioning is in creating this company, I really cared that we could make decisions where. We didn't always have to, um, well, basically I I decided to make this a public benefit corporation uh, rather than a standard corporation because Mm. a public benefit corporation, for your listeners who aren't familiar, is a newer type of corporate structure where rather than just having a singular goal in the corporate charter, which is to maximize shareholder value, a public benefit corporation can have a dual goal or does have a dual goal and you define a social good goal in addition to. Uh, the financial one. And in our case, that's educating the public about climate change. Um, And so that was really important to us in setting up this company.
2: Um, And then who, so then your customers are these big, like the vanguards and the Fidelities, the 401k issuers?
3: You know, I would actually say our customers are people like you and me who are investing in a 401k and decide to invest in this fund in particular. Mm. Okay. Um and that isn't to say that those, you know, the Vanguard and Fidelity etc platforms aren't important. They're more like gatekeepers. So we have to get their approval, their thumbs up to get listed on their platforms before the regular person can invest uh and make their own decision to invest. And there are a few um gatekeepers like that. Um the other big one is uh the employer. So if somebody wants to invest via their company 401k, uh, their company has to decide to add this as an option into their 401k lineup
2: got it so there's a couple steps that you have to go through before this is available to me the 401k consumer i can't for example go to your website if let's well let's say i had an ira right if it was a if it's a self-directed retirement fund can someone just add this themselves to
3: their portfolio? yeah i'm glad you asked they absolutely can and um this is not actually a 401k product in particular. So anyone can invest via mm. any vehicle. It could even just be, you want to transfer some of your money from your bank account into it. You can do that. Um, so it's just a mutual fund, which is um, for people who are more familiar with ETFs, it's not too different. Um, and uh, anyone can invest. Uh, and it turns out what makes it attractive in 401ks, especially that, that low fee um, and also that diversification also makes it attractive to a lot of, other people outside of 401ks so we are seeing traction outside of 401ks as well
2: gotcha and so then that's great for you because the the fee structure means you get paid whenever anybody invests in this fund right
3: that's right yeah exactly uh Um, so the fee structure is that that 0.07 percent that i mentioned
2: yep got it what how are you approaching the gatekeepers and what kind of success have you had there in terms of being listed on those platforms and getting employers to want to offer i know you're Fairly early in this journey, right?
3: Yes, we're brand new, um, but it's exciting to see how many people are really excited about adding this to their four hundred one k's or or investing. So um, we're getting some decent traction already. And um, the most important part in getting the gatekeepers to add this as an option for people is for people to ask. So it turns out, uh, you know, I learned this from from talking to lots of four hundred one k advisors is, is I would always ask them, how do you decide what options to give employees in the 401ks that you manage? And they would always walk me through the process that they have. And then at the end, they would say, or if our customers ask for a specific option, oftentimes, you know, usually we'll add it. if We can We want to keep our customers happy. Hmm. So then I would go to their customers, which to them, that's the head of HR, the benefits manager at a company. And I would say, hey, have you ever requested any specific funds be added to your company 401k? Um And what made you decide to do that? And most of the time they had made that type of request before. And the reason they did was because employees were asking for it. So this really is um, uh, uh, an area where uh, grounds up movement of, you know, end users wanting to be able to access this, just making the request really makes all the difference in getting added to platforms.
2: And so that's why you describe this as a, a movement in addition to a company. Yes, absolutely. Um, What are the criteria for companies to be in the fund? Because, you know, clearly in addition to leaving off the tomatoes and onions, you're curating a specific collection of companies. Like, are you vetting them for greenwashing or, you know, how do you decide who's there?
3: Yeah. So for this first product, it's a super simple approach. Um, And that was really critical for being able to offer it at a very low fee, that that 0.07%. Um, and so we're not doing any active vetting of companies. All we're doing is leaving off the worst offenders. Um, and the way the, you know, our strategy is very simple. Uh, all we do is we take the top 500 U.S. companies and we exclude uh, the fossil fuel companies, of which there are about 40. And so mm-hmm. the remainder are all still there. And it's it's that 5% that's excluded. So we're still invested in. So it's 95%. like the s 460.
2: Exactly. Okay, that's,
3: that's pretty much what 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 it is. And we benchmark against the the S&P 500 uh, index type ETFs. um, That seems like it should be
2: reassuring to fund managers, too, because you're, you're not, you know, you're like, look, this is not concessionary. We're choosing effectively the blue chips that you would already be invested in minus companies that, you know, in addition to perpetrating great harm to our planet and the people on it, also
3: haven't been performing that well. Exactly. It's true. That, that is the reaction we've gotten from uh, financial advisors and 401k advisors is, oh, okay, just excluding 5% um, isn't, uh, isn't, doesn't sound too risky to me. It sounds like you're still well diversified. And you're right, they haven't been performing too well. And there are studies showing that going back 40 years, um, funds that excluded fossil fuel companies performed as well as or better than funds that included them. Hmm. And we did a ten-year back test of our index, and that turned out to be true for our own back test as well. So, if, if you had followed this strategy for the past ten years, you would have done better than if you had invested in the S and P five hundred.
2: How? Tell me about the the company. When did you form? Have you raised capital? Like, what sort of stage are you at as you're building this as a second time founder?
3: We formed just a year ago, exactly. And we raised a seed round of $2 million um, this past summer slash fall. And that was um, led by a great VC firm called Pale Blue Dot that focuses entirely on climate investments. Um, And then we had participation from a whole bunch of of different great investors. So um, it's been really wonderful to have that team on board. Uh, And then we just launched this index and this first um, uh, index fund that we sponsored um a few months ago and we're now just getting added to platforms uh, so that we can be available in 401ks
2: how big do you think this opportunity is like in terms of you know a conversation about a venture scale business
3: i think it's a big opportunity um and you know i think that because i've talked to so many people who've been looking for this um, there are so many conversations I have where people say, oh, my God, this is what I've been looking for for so long. I'm so frustrated by the financial system as it is now and that it's been so hard to invest in this type of strategy. Um, and then looking at the 401k market, uh, you know, it's clear that there are many billions of dollars that that could transition into this type of strategy. Um, and I think the key will be getting some... Big customers uh, transitioned in, so um, you know once we have customers who who already have sustainability mandates, like Microsoft, Apple, etc., clearly care so much about climate change. And once they move into this, then I think it will make other big companies who maybe aren't so much at the forefront of the green movement uh, realize, oh, this is something we really should be offering our employees to
2: Yeah, one. I mean, one thing that I'm loving about this space and all of the different companies that exist in sort of the big climate tech bucket is that 401ks, I think, would be an easy to overlook part of your climate strategy as a company. And what you're describing is so easy now that you have created it for them, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's sort of like, oh, here's this incredibly impactful thing that probably the vast majority of companies and even employees have not even considered.
3: Yeah. And that people want. The thing is, once people realize that this is an option, it's one of those things that they can't stop thinking about, you know, because it's amazing how many people are worried about climate change these days. And these numbers have really skyrocketed, especially in the US in the past five years. We've gone from, I think about 30% of Americans were worried about climate change five years ago to over 80% now. Uh, it's something that a lot of people have honestly a lot of anxiety about and want to know how they can help how they can make a difference. And it's really easy to feel powerless with such a massive scale of a problem. But in my opinion, money is one of the most important things, you know, money talks, if you want to create systems change, uh, one of the best places to go create that change is by moving your money. Um, and so this gives people a really proactive way to make a real difference in climate change. And When companies offer this, it shows that their employees, that they have an authenticity around their climate commitments. Mm -hmm. And that can make a big difference in keeping their employees happy in both recruiting and retaining employees. So I think it'll it'll become kind of table stakes. If you want to be able to claim that you're a green company, you're going to have to let your employees avoid investing in fossil fuel companies.
2: Yeah. Recycling alone is not going to do it, well, and your your sort of benefit. I mean, there's there's been a lot of noise about this lately, this idea of divestment on college campuses. And even as we're seeing in in big funds, big investors saying we're exiting this space altogether. so you're you're riding a wave of momentum that it sounds like just needs like a little extra push in terms of awareness.
3: It's right. And I mean, the movement has been incredibly powerful. And actually, the reason I even became aware of the idea of divesting from fossil fuel companies, was because I was at MIT as a student uh, when we were pushing the MIT endowment to divest from fossil fuel companies, and that got me thinking about my own money. And I thought, mm. oh my gosh, I do have retirement savings from my prior company, which was a, a climate tech company. Um, am I invested in fossil fuel companies? And that's what started me down the rabbit hole of figuring this all out. So you're right. There's been this incredible movement over the past decade of students getting their universities to divest, um, and it's expanded beyond university endowments, it's even gone to pension funds. The biggest pension fund in the world, I believe, the New York State Pension Fund decided to divest from fossil fuels as did the New York City one. Um, And uh, some really big endowments have decided to divest. Uh, A big one was was the Harvard Endowment. The University of California System Endowment has also decided to divest. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of these entities that have made this decision are referencing not just the ethics of divesting and climate change, but also the financial aspect of it. They yeah. are doing it because they need to protect the financial returns of their portfolios. Um, and so it's really wild if you think about how those entities which are big can do this, but individuals don't have that option. We don't have that choice to protect our retirement savings from potential huge swings in that industry. Yeah. Um, so
2: that's a great it's a movement just to get us that map. option. When you describe this um, impact, right? As you're, as you're building this movement, like it, we've described the financial impact, which is real, like how, but how do you quantify this for people when you go out and you say like, you should really care what's in your 401k. How, for example, when we talk about the, the, the carbon impact of your divestment, like, how do you think about those metrics and explaining to people this is the direct impact that you can have?
3: Yeah. Um, we explain it just in dollars. So the average person has $6,000 invested in fossil fuel companies via their 401k. Um, and if you work at a big company, uh, like Microsoft, you could potentially move $1.5 billion out of fossil fuels. So. We're quantifying it in terms of dollar impact because ultimately we see this as a a social movement where moving dollars out of fossil fuel companies isn't just about affecting the stock price, it's about sending a message. And we'll be sharing a message with fossil fuel companies telling them, hey, this is what you need to do if you want to get on on the path towards investability again. So it's as much about capturing the attention of the public and of the fossil fuel companies as it is about, um, you know, dollars and cents impact on stock prices or measuring carbon footprint specifically. So mm. we, you know, moving forward, when we start to um, uh, make more products available, we'll start looking at, you know, carbon footprint analysis, gender equity, rainforest, and uh, not cutting down of forests, prison industrial complex, there are all kinds of investing with our with our values, topics that people should be able to have those options in their 401ks, and this is just the start.
2: Love it, love it. While I have you, let's do like a climate tech startup twofer because as we have mentioned a couple of times, IR Labs, your previous startup uh, is making data centers and supercomputers faster and more energy efficient, and that company still exists, right? You have handed the reins over to another CEO?
3: It does, yes. Uh, Charlie Wishpart is is a fantastic CEO, and he's doing a really stellar job um, growing that company.
2: Awesome. Double a two-time climate tech startup founder, Alex Wright-Gladstein. You can find uh, this existing product at oursphere.org. Where else can people find you?
3: Uh, You can find us on Twitter, uh, at oursphere.org. We're on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Yeah. Alex, thanks so much.
2: Nice to talk to you.
3: Thank you so much. It was fun. Hey
1: everyone, producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS Syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash sas S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS Syndicate. And you can join Jason's Syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities, and you can see the full list at slash charity.